children can be dismissed. Yeah, yeah, classrooms. Yeah. All right, kids can be dismissed at this time. This is the third Sunday of Advent, which is the pink candle. Don't know why. Just the way they always do it. And uh, we get to uh, set aside time to remember the importance and hopefully experience the importance of joy in this season of expectation. Uh, so we'll light the first, second, and third candles of Advent. Try anyway. Almost. Pink candle doesn't go first, huh? That's correct. Didn't didn't do that last week. Dif different crowd once we get closer to Christmas. Boy. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter two. This is a familiar passage, and we'll be uh, looking at this chapter um, next week and, uh, and on Christmas as well, little little pieces of it at least. And um, you know it, you're familiar with it, that doesn't reduce its value or, or the thrill we get when we read it at all. Um, familiarity in this case uh, breeds joy. So let's read from verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made, wi made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which are told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray once more. Lord Jesus, we rejoice. As you have commanded us by your angels to do, you say rejoice and we rejoice. We rejoice that you are so kind to us, that you are so near to us. Um, that you are willing to be found by those who seek you and that you send those who didn't even know they were looking for you straight to you, people like the shepherds. We thank you for the truths of your word, of this passage. We pray that the seed of your word would sink down into each heart uh, and, uh, like, like a seed in good soil and it would bear much fruit. 
We rejoice in you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The focus for the third week of Advent is joy. Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And to emphasize the idea of all people, you know, we see uh, this, this principle presented even in the little nativity scenes that we set up, right? You've got wealthy, educated magi with nice horses or camels, and then you have shepherds. Okay, and the, these guys are on opposite ends of the social spectrum, but everyone's invited to see Jesus. And it is to these shepherds that the angels bring the message of joy. So in the, in the first week of Advent, we cultivated our hope by looking at the prophets. Last week, we looked at faith with Mary. And now we're going to look at these unlikely recipients of joy, the shepherds. So in verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Um, you know, when we look at Mary, like last week, we and, and her great faith and the grace that God showed her, what we didn't talk about so much that we could have was simply how very unqualified Mary would seem for the 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 role of mother of Jesus. Um, she was in her teens, she was poor, she was in the middle of nowhere, and God favored her. The shepherds also are unqualified, you might say, for the role they find themselves in. And it's quite a role. The shepherds are personally invited to go and witness the coming of God as man into human history. They get front row seats to a concert given by angels who are usually declaring God's presence to his face in the very presence of God. And they, of all people on earth, these shepherds, are the first ones commissioned to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And just like with our study of Mary last week, we see that these shepherds are blessed. They are favored. They are graced. They have grace shown to them. And then they have this great responsibility given to them. And all of this is in stark contrast to the way the world says things should happen. We ask the wrong question when we say, who's the best qualified? God shows us the right answer when he says, I love that one. I love these ones. I have great news of joy for you, for you all. So in looking at these ones he, he loves, being the ones he loves, uh, we get to learn a lot. We get to see these shepherds as, um, as those who are invited to a great party, just like we've been invited to. And you, when we talk about shepherds in the Bible, you need to get all the Old West rancher imagery out of your mind. Uh, don't picture like little Bo Peep for sure. Um, you know, to be a shepherd... Seem, it seems like to be a shepherd in that day was basically to be a gainfully employed homeless person. That's kind of like the, the, the feeling. If you had to play the shepherd in a Christmas pageant when you were a kid, you got the worst part. Like the sheep was better. That's where the glory is right there. Um, if you were a shepherd, you would be outside of town. You would not be able to join in with the normal day-to-day -day niceties of polite society, such as it was. You wouldn't be able to sleep in a bed. Sheep needed watching at night, apparently. That's what we see in our story, right? Luke 2. You wouldn't be able to get a date because you smell like a sheep. And it's not, it's not so much the job that you shoot for. It's the job you end up with. Shepherd, that's, that's where you are. Some of you might not think that's such a bad deal. I've met you. I know that many of uh, introverts... Uh, who enjoy the outdoors, this might sound close to a dream job. Animals make more sense than people most of the time, and camping is fun, right? Um, you know, get to hang outside, don't talk to people, sounds great. Don't think it sounds great. 
Okay, you got you got to remove yourself from whatever your cultural context is and head to ancient Israel where to lose your ability or your your place as one of us was basically to be just relegated to the outside to the enemy's camp. You might as well just be the enemy. If you read the Old Testament law, you see that the ultimate punishment for breaking the law was often not death but to be cut off from the people. Exiled Exile is the punishment for the worst crimes. Now, obviously, shepherds weren't actually exiled. That wasn't happening. Legally, they were not. They, they had a job that needed to be done, and, but the nature of their job took them outside of society. They were, by default, cut off. And by the pharisaical standards of Jesus' day, of course, shepherds could not maintain ceremonial cleanness, which means they couldn't get near. They could not draw near where many others could. Now, I don't, I don't exaggerate things here. I don't want to overstate things. Shepherds were not actually unclean. They were not actually exiled. They probably weren't actually homeless either. But if you never get to live in the house that you own, you might as well be kind of homeless. That's the way it worked with shepherds. Shepherds often worked on Sabbath because wolves don't take the day off. Uh, you would rarely see a shepherd in synagogue because you don't get the day off as a shepherd. Sheep really do need constant supervision. You see that their shifts were pretty brutal. Even in our passage, they've got to work through the night. Many of the feasts then that the Jews were supposed to take part in, things that uh, every male in Israel was supposed to gather to, some shepherds probably couldn't really do it. If you can't be part of society, even if it's only because of a scheduling conflict, you lose the ability to be counted as one of us. And to the Jew, it was very, very important to be considered part of the team. As you read the Gospels, you see the pharisaical mindset that prejudices are strong. Social constructs are ironclad. The whole of their society was cliquish and petty. The shepherds were victims of that kind of thinking. Now, additionally, in the ancient Mediterranean cultures, even going back all the way to, like, you know, the patriarchs in Egypt, all the way in Exodus, shepherds had a stigma about them that may or may not have been justified, but it was pretty strong either way. Shepherds were considered to be crooks and thieves. Um, it's easy to have this kind of prejudice develop when you have a subculture that isn't allowed or is unable to take part in all of your regular day-to-day -day life. Different is bad. It's also possible that the shepherds, once they began to be pushed further and further towards the edge of society, hey, maybe some of them did react to this by becoming criminals. I don't know. But they had, they had a reputation that was less than flattering. And because they were outsiders geographically, it could easily become, they could easily become outsiders socially and eventually became outsiders even legally. And some of the, the Near Eastern cultures, some, during some eras, uh, shepherds wouldn't have been allowed to testify in court. Their statements wouldn't have been considered viable in a court of law. Um, and I hope you have a clear mind now what a shepherd is. Uh, they're weird. They're not very hygienic. Uh, not someone you'd you know that would be able to blend in at a Christmas party. And so God sends a host of angels to them from His throne room to say, "I've got great news, and it's for everyone." Verse nine says, "And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." Um, I don't know if anyone can. Anyone could describe 
what happened here. Like these are the facts and we can try and put ourselves there. We can try and imagine what this was like. We know that Luke was a careful historian who, according to the beginning of chapter one, he relied heavily on eyewitness accounts. He interviewed people. Um, he was knowledgeable about the events surrounding Jesus's life and ministry from the first. So if Luke gained eyewitness accounts to these things, then it's possible that he was able to track down the shepherds or maybe their families or people that had heard their stories and be able to ask, okay, what was it really like? Like, what happened there? But even, even if he wrote the Gospel of Luke a few decades after the events of chapter 2, shepherding was one of those jobs that stayed in the family, so it's reasonable to believe that those who were uh, children, maybe at the time of Christ's birth, had grown and continued to shepherd. And Luke tracks them down and says, well, what did it look like? And who knows? how they would have described the light, the sound, the shock and awe of the night an angel showed up and all his friends. It says that the glory of the Lord shone about them. You can only imagine. You can only imagine that this was light in a dark place, heavenly light, light that wasn't from the sun, light that gave birth to the sun and every other light in the universe, a light that was what, from what James calls the, the father of lights, the source. It's a glory. This is the tangible, visible presence of God, and it shines. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's what the Christmas carol calls a holy light. It's a righteousness that glows, illuminates, and threatens to blind. Glory. And the weight of glory strikes fear into the hearts of these shepherds. They are greatly afraid. We don't need to wonder why. It's a supernatural event. The fabric of space has ripped open and heaven is now in front of them. Heaven is crashing into earth with force that can't be measured. And it's certainly out of the ordinary for a shepherd to be encountering something like this on the night shift. In verse 10, the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Most common angelic greeting in scripture, don't be afraid. Virtually everyone who encounters an angel in scripture will hear these words at some point in the conversation, usually at the beginning. Don't be afraid. We can conclude from this evidence that angels are kind of scary. But we can also conclude by looking at the angels and their message in the Gospel of Luke that they are very intent on sharing the joy of the Lord, even as they express the fear of the Lord. When the angel Gabriel first speaks to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. It says, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him John, he's going to go, he's going to be the voice in the wilderness, that whole passage. In chapter 1, verse 14, Gabriel's first, Gabriel's word to the priest is, you will have joy. That's the declaration from the angel, you will have joy. Later in chapter 1, which we looked at last week, the first word that Gabriel expresses to Mary is, rejoice. And now we see when the angel brings this message to the shepherds that night, he says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. This is the point. We can never stop having the command to rejoice be at the heart of the gospel we preach. Like we call all men to repent. We, we better. That's part of the deal. We call all men to repent. We also call all men to rejoice. That's part of the message. Did you know that's part of the message? To lose the, the desire to rejoice in salvation is to lose something of the heart of God because this whole Jesus come to earth thing, that's his idea and he's thrilled about it. God rejoices 
at Christmas. Heaven rejoices at the incarnation of the Son of God. And he invites all men, all humanity, into his joy, into God's joy. The news of this joy, the good tidings, will be for all people. When he says all people, he means everybody. The gospel is not just a gospel for the mainstream. It's a gospel specifically for the outcasts. And it's also not just a gospel for the poor. There's the Magi, too. They're educated, wise men who could afford a long trip. It's for everybody. They brought gold with them. It's for those people, too. The good news is for all people. Joy is for all people. And this is the good news of great joy. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. This is the ultimate joy. The coming of the Son of God as a baby. This is the good tidings of great joy that the angels brought. News of a Savior, the Savior of the world. This is news too good to be told by only one being. The better the news, the more people God desires to proclaim it. He invites more proclaimers, more angels. And there's, there's two pieces of good news that are proclaimed in this passage. The first we've already seen, and that is that the Savior has come. And the angel will say it again by saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The next piece of news, which really isn't news at all, but it's still worth saying, it will be proclaimed by the heavenly host, and that is this, God is great and he's, he gets all the glory. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, because good news needs lots of people to say it, not just one guy. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Out of all the strange pieces of the Christmas story, and there's a lot of weird pieces, right? There's, you know, virgin birth. There's, you know, tyrannical king that kills babies. There's wise men just show up from like way far away. Angels and, and shepherds and a star and... You know, everything smells like frankincense. And there's a lot of weird ingredients, right? This is the most normal part of the whole story, okay? This supernatural assembly may be the part that fits the best with what's actually going on. Because a king is being born, and he's God. God himself has entered the world as a human being, never losing his divinity, but adding to it humanity. This is a miracle of the first order that is happening. Eternity is eclipsing time. The divine is stepping down to earth. Angels singing about this is the most normal thing, the most fitting thing that could possibly happen here. For baby Jesus, this is probably most like home, right? Like this is, this is what should happen. How could heaven not break open and sing. When Jesus says, if these don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. Saying that it has to happen. God must be praised for a work of this magnitude. And as fitting as it is for the choir from heaven to declare the glory of God, that's just normal. I mean, that's more normal than the stuff you've ever seen in your life. This earth is temporary. It had a beginning. It'll have an end. God being praised eternally is more normal than this, right? That's real life. That's reality. The unfitting part, or what seems at first glance to be the head scratcher, is that the shepherds are there. Angels singing to God, that's normal. Shepherds in the middle of the night being at this worship service, that's strange. Where did they get tickets? And it's really one of the best parts, that God reveals his glory to shepherds. Why? Well, one answer is simply grace. It's what he does. 
It's not like the shepherds were the most righteous in the nation. It wasn't that God had admired their hard work ethic and thought they needed a special day just for themselves. It was because God enjoys showing grace to those who don't deserve it. And God enjoys giving grace and showing glory to the empty, shining light in the darkness. I mentioned those other examples of joy being announced in the Christmas story. Zechariah is childless and, Ze and Gabriel announces, you will have joy. Mary is single, teenager, unprepared and unfit to have a child. And the angel says, rejoice. The joy of the Lord is for the empty, for the wanting, for the undeserving. In fact, that's what grace is, goodness to those who don't deserve it. He loves the ones the world just loves to hate. So he sends angels, lots of them, to declare, not the shepherd's goodness. They're not there saying, high five, good job, shepherds. You know, he, the, the angels show up and, and they say, glory to God. Look how glorious God is. Do you want to see? I'll show you. Shut your eyes. It's going to be bright. The glory of the Lord shone around them. He shines his own glory around them and he sends them to where they can find more of the same in the form of his son. The fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily. The angels send them to Jesus. But let's ask again, why shepherds? Were they the only outcasts in the area? Certainly not. Humanity is, isn't that finely categorized. You can find the dregs of society in every corner of it, right? And even the angel said, the news is for all people. It's for everyone. So why shepherds, specifically? One reason is professional courtesy. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the, the Jesus in the manger would grow up and say, I'm the good shepherd. You see a thread throughout scripture, a wool thread, you might say, where you can connect the dots between shepherd to shepherd to shepherd to shepherd and finally the good shepherd. I think God does things on purpose. Adam was given dominion over the animals, sheep included. His son Abel was a shepherd who brought forth offerings that were pleasing to God. He sacrificed a lamb. You've got the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each one with flocks and herds. And when you get to Jacob, you read about him meeting the love of his life, Rachel, who was a shepherdess. And the sons of Jacob go to Egypt during the famine. The Pharaoh asks them, what do you do? They say shepherds. And in that passage in Genesis, it mentions that shepherds were repulsive to the Egyptians. So the bad reputation goes way back. You go down the road and you see Moses take a job as a shepherd for 40 years in the Sinai wilderness. Even back then, it's not a glorious job, not a glamorous job. But God chose the shepherd to be a shepherd for his people and to bring them out of Egypt to the promised land. Israel's greatest leader, David, went from shepherd to king. When he killed Goliath, he did so with weapons used as a shepherd. And then he would go on to write the shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, where he calls God our shepherd. God chose prophets from shepherds. You have Amos chapter 1. We don't spend a lot of time with Amos, do we? Uh, just the cookies, right? Uh, we learned that he was a prophet and that he had, he had a hard time believing that God would call him to be a prophet because he was only a shepherd. And now we see the shepherds of Bethlehem being specially singled out to be the first to receive this good news. And I believe that it is for the same reason God has singled out other shepherds. And it is for the same reason he led some, such as Moses, into the, the profession when he could have stayed in politics. Professional courtesy. And God invites people who will be able to recognize a good lamb when they see it. And all these shepherds are going to be brought to somewhere there's a manger and they're going to see the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
and that wool thread continues. And John the Baptist, you, you can hear those echoes where he sees Jesus as, Behold the Lamb of God. And you go all the way to the apocalypse, to the revelation of John, who sees one as a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. God invites people to become experts in sheep and shepherding because he's the good shepherd and Jesus is the lamb of God. Our God is a shepherd. Jesus, when he says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. We're seeing something of the heart of God. First Peter 5, the apostle Peter encourages pastors, shepherds, to persevere because when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Jesus is the shepherd. And, and there's these shepherds who are outcasts, outcasts of society, nobodies, and you look at the good shepherd how is he the good shepherd? He gives up all the glory of heavenly society and instead came down to live with us sheep on the outside. To say the shepherds were cast out of society, uh, you know, that, that's partly true. But Jesus left on purpose. We don't even know what that's like because we haven't been to heaven yet. He went without so that his sheep could live. When you get called a sheep, it's not a compliment. In Isaiah, we read that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him our good shepherd, the iniquity of us all. Sheep aren't smart. They're not real powerful. They're not very threatening. They're defenseless. They're silly. They're wandering, not real sharp. Some of you say, oh, I'm very clever. Yeah, for a sheep, it's not saying much. But if, if, a, sheep, if a sheep can be proud of anything, then it's that they're loved by a good shepherd. And they're cared for by a skilled shepherd. Psalm 95, the psalmist revels in this reality that we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We have a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. See, throughout history, from the beginning, God has used scripture and the history of redemption to draw our attention to shepherds. Do you see why this is? It's the same reason he draws our attention to priests in the Old Testament, because Jesus, he's our priest, the mediator that brings us to God, gives us oneness with the Father. It's why we have stories, entire books of kings of Israel. And then you get to Chronicles and you read the same stories again. Why? Because Jesus is our king. It's the same reason great attention is given to the tabernacle and to the temple because these things point us to the real sanctuary of God where the flesh of Jesus is the veil that was torn, the veil that we pass through to enter into the presence of God. So God shows us shepherds because he is our good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one who has laid down his life for the sheep. God has fully redeemed this humble profession, not just by choosing them, but by becoming one of them. Similar things could be said of all humanity. In, in, the heaven, in a heavenly realm, we are the outsiders. We don't belong there. We have sin, we have foolishness, and we're shown grace, all of which makes the angels scratch their heads. But God chooses us, and he becomes one of us in Jesus a brother to us. We sang that today. His priests are chosen from among their brethren. The angels come to the shepherds, the one like us who are far from God, far from a polite society. And then the angels tell them where to find their savior. And the shepherds have a responsibility to go find more light. Information like this always demands a response. There is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. You don't hear something like that and then say thank you 
that's really helpful. I'm going to tuck that little tidbit in the back of my mind somewhere and save that for a rainy day. That's not the kind of news this is. The shepherds could not return to their normal schedule at this point. It would be foolish of them to say, wow, that was amazing. In fact, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. Can you believe that, Angel? And when the rest of them showed up, that, that, was, that was great. I'm pretty sure they had perfect pitch. That was fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm convicted, you know? Well, that's really everything I could ever want out of a meeting with God. So now I'm going to go back to these sheep because if I don't, no one will. And that's what I'm good at. That would be ridiculous. You know how we talked about how we talked about faith being something that strengthens us for action last week, right? By faith, these ones obtained promises, conquered cities, shut the mouths of lions, and it goes on. Well, joy is the same way. Joy is an activator. Joy, it's by joy that the shepherds told the good news. It's out of a a, uh, a swelling joy that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. I, I know that joy, joy and happiness are different. Joy is not the same as, you know, a punchline of a joke. But just to compare real quick, if someone says something that you find really, really funny, you know what you do? You laugh. It's just what you do. It's a, it's a response that's almost involuntary, right? It's a response that is demanded by the situation. If you are joyful, there is a response that is demanded of you. That is the most natural thing to happen that will flow out of the joy you have. The joyful news the angels brought required a response, but the joy that, that they were given uh, allowed for that response. The shepherds respond correctly because they were joyful. So it was, verse 16, sorry, 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They go, they search, they find. This is exactly what Jesus says will happen. Matthew 7, 7, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks it will be opened the shepherds obey before they'd even heard the sermon on the mount they seek and they find i don't believe there's anyone in history in the history of the world who has looked for jesus and didn't find him i really don't and that sounds maybe a little bit strange but look to what great lengths god has gone to reveal himself to people with eyes open he's hard to miss he is willing to be found by you. He sent, he sent dreams, sent angels, he sends people, he gives scripture. For the person who wants to seek, they will find Jesus. Jesus promised it. They found Jesus. There's the joy. We don't know what that meeting was like, just like we don't know what the glory of the Lord around them was like. We don't we don't know how much it resembled our nativity scenes that we set up, but we know this. They saw Jesus. They actually saw him. They saw the Christ child. They were the first outside of Mary and Joseph and the animals, I guess, if they were around, to see God in the flesh. They saw him. And again, through this meeting, they are given news. They are given information that demands a response because once you've met Jesus, nothing is the same. And they, again, make the correct response. Verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Jesus is not someone you can keep to yourself. 
the gospel is not something that you can keep to yourself because joy is not something that you can keep to yourself. It actually ceases to be what it is if it's not shared. Because as the angel said, this is good news for all people. If it stops being good news for all people, then it's not the gospel the angels entrusted the shepherds with. When some people are excluded from the all, then the gospel ceases to be what it was meant to be. The shepherds see Jesus. What's their response? Evangelism. Rejoicing. Joy-based evangelism. Without method. Without strategy. Probably without a shower beforehand. Without forethought. Just speaking the good tidings of great joy, the good news about this child that they saw, which was so powerful and so life-changing that Luke, you know, more than 30 years after this, could track down people to tell this story still. And they, they shared the good news. What's the good news? That it's the Christ, the Lord, a Savior. And today's his birthday. They went and told people. They make this widely known. They tell everyone they meet. And you know what? People are fascinated with the story they tell. They tell. It says, verse 18, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Yeah, they marveled because it's marvelous. The shepherds were enthusiastic because they saw the glory of God. And when they see the glory of God, they share the story. And when people hear about God from a person who has seen his glory with their own eyes, they marvel. It's just what they do. Verse 19 and 20, let's finish things up here. It says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She very well may have been uh, the main eyewitness for Luke's gospel, at least this early, early part of it. I mean, who else knew how Jesus was born? It was Mary. So she pondered them in her heart and waited for Luke's interview 30 years later. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Man, the application really writes itself, doesn't it? Uh, we have much to rejoice about. And there's a lot we can do with that joy that has been given us. We were the outcasts. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's our testimony. That's how the gospel has impacted us. We were once far off and Christ has brought us near by his blood. God has revealed himself to you. Just like he did to the shepherds. Well, not just like he did to the shepherds, but just like he did to the shepherds. He, he reveals himself in a myriad of ways. In the things that he has made, he reveals himself in his word, the scriptures. He reveals himself through his church. God has revealed himself to you, even in the preaching of this sermon. You know that the Savior is born and that this is joyful news. You are faced with a choice, just like the shepherds were. Are you going to seek him out? If so, he will be found by you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, James 4. You know where he is. He's not in the manger anymore. He is seated in heaven, crowned with glory, and he is still willing to meet with you through his church, through his word, through prayer, through communion. You can access him more easily now than ever before through the prayer of faith. He is as near as your next breath. You've heard about him now. Do you go towards him? Do you seek him out? If you do, you will find him. You, like the shepherds, have seen the work of God. If you are a Christian, then you have encountered the Christ child. You have seen that God has become flesh, and this is marvelous. And so we marvel. If you have come to God in Jesus Christ, then once again, you have a responsibility. A response is demanded of you. It is reasonable to respond with evangelism. 
when you have heard the gospel. Go and tell about the Savior. Tell people about what God has done. And then, one more thing that we see the shepherds do in verse 20 here. You don't just tell people about God, you tell God about God. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. Those sheep are like, you guys have been gone for a while. What happened? You are not the same kind of shepherds anymore. They go back to their day jobs, night jobs, I guess, glorifying and praising God. That's your last response, just as it, it was one of the angels' first commands. Rejoice in God and glorify him. Rejoice and revel in the grace of God that has been shown us. Respond to it in faith by seeking Jesus and then by seeking others so that they can seek Jesus. And then again, by seeking out God in praise. Let's pray. Jesus, we rejoice. We rejoice as best we know how. We rejoice that you have come to be with us, that you invite those who are on the outside to come into fellowship with you. God, you have given us fellowship with you through your Son. We rejoice in this. We rejoice in the Holy Spirit. We pray that, that our joy would be, um, would be the kind of joy we can't keep to ourselves, that evangelism, rather than being uh, somehow a, a chore or uh, just a neglected necessity would be the natural overflow of the joy you've given us in meeting Christ himself. Bless this church with this joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go ahead and stand up. After, after we sing, there'll be people up front willing to pray with you for any specific prayer requests. And the rest of you can go enjoy this sunny day. Looks like it's, yeah, right now it is. It was snowing a little bit earlier, but it's fine. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. You are sent.